Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of Bible Escapes and Discussion. Today, I've got the great pleasure and honour of being joined by Jim Mortram to discuss his uh, his photography, his work, and also small town inertia. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, my friend. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's absolutely my pleasure. I uh, I heard, as I've seen before, I heard your talk at the Connected Exhibition, and it was absolutely fantastic. I was a uh, I was hooked and just fascinated to every word you were talking about whilst sharing whilst sharing the work. So it really is a pleasure to have you, you have you join me this evening and give up your time. Very much appreciated. So before we get into talk about uh, Jim's book, it'd be great to if you could give us a good introduction, a bit of a background to yourself and your your photographic work as well, Jim. Yeah, sure. So um, okay, I came to photography late, quite late, yep. uh, mid thirties. Came to it completely by accident wasn't um wasn't really interested in photography didn't really know anything about the history of photography or styles of photography yeah um what had happened was i was uh some 15 years before i'd been an art student studying for uh, fine art painting in norwich right and during my studies my uh, mother became quite gravely ill and I was presented not with uh, a choice in so much as an opportunity. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to think of deciding to become a carer is a choice. Um, yeah. I don't view it like that. It was the opportunity to, to try and help. Yeah. So I took that opportunity, left my studies, returned home, um, full of the hubris and, I, I guess, ego of being a 20-something, thinking, well, I can fix this, which, of course, you can't, yeah. and I couldn't. Uh, and ended up doing a what I like to think of as a 15-year like master's degree in empathy because what <laughs> if there's one thing being a carer taught me yeah it's uh, that your opinion doesn't really count and you're there to listen and to be of service and to help yeah uh, it did however have quite a dramatic profound effect on me in in so much as um, I found that my life mirrored my started to mirror my parents' life in that yeah. I became quite marginalized, yeah, isolated. Um, something that I guess we're all pretty aware of now being isolated, very much, very much so, um, yeah. And it was really difficult. Uh, kind of came to a crescendo where I, I got quite down and quite, quite lost, and it affected me quite badly. Um, and a friend loaned me a camera, yeah. and I fell into photographing an elderly neighbor who subsequently passed away yeah uh, but left me with all of these uh photographs this this memory of this great relationship like the first friendship i'd had in 15 years yeah and in his passing he kind of gave me a blueprint of what i'd end up doing for the for the rest of my life i kind of found myself again i re rebooted to my yep. younger self yeah and um yeah, slowly but surely, I, I, I discovered that I wanted to preserve testimony. I wanted to uh, um, make quite a clear rebuttal to the type of reporting that was uh, being made and still is made concerning austerity, yeah. uh, poverty, disability. Um, but it was all done very organically. So I, I've never sort of actively gone out of my way to find people to photograph i just meet people in life uh yeah. they, i'm interested um i ask a really simple question which is what it, what is it in your life that you feel that's not getting heard what do you want to say what what is it that's frustrating you yeah and people that participate um collaborate and it's a real community collaborative um endeavor yeah 
absolutely fascinating and yeah obviously you've uh, produced published the book small town inertia which i hope i pronounced that correctly which for you me I, I i picked it up earlier this year after hearing your you talk and um, I've just I've I've just loved going through and taking in the stories and and the images that you've that you've that you've shot and photographed of of these people over a over a prolonged period of time. So I'm interested to know where where did the where did the idea for the 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 project or photographing the people and your the communities come from? Well, I mean, when I started, I didn't know anything about humanist photography or uh social documentary yeah. or, or um uh what's it called um like making work in people's homes uh, yeah. environment yeah. like environmental portraiture there yes. we go i yeah. told you it's, it's the jab so it's like <laughs> just, just just for context which is something that i'm big on i, I had my second uh astrazeneca jab a, two days ago and i'm still feeling a little bit brain foggy so uh i'm gonna sound like a car trying to start for a lot of this um yeah environmental portraiture and um but what happened was i i kind of grew along with the project i learned yeah. how i learned how to make photographs whilst making the work i suppose i kind of resent calling it a project because it doesn't it's never felt like there was never a clear decision to make it a series or a portfolio or a project. It was more birthed out of um, frustration and anger and resentment and empathy with the people. Uh, so anger and resentment to a mass media that was really dehumanizing in its coverage of people that were affected by austerity. Yeah. It was very resentful to a government whose philosophy and policies seemed to really dehumanize the people that their policies were attacking and attacking they were. Yeah. Um, but very much in solidarity with, with the people of my community and therefore every other community in the in the country. Yeah. Uh, that were enduring these policies. So you know, it, it's, it was a very gradual, or everything I've done has been very sort of organic and yes. very not improvised, but you know, it's like I didn't know what a blog was when I started. Yeah. And then I found out what a blog was and I thought, well, you know, I, in a perfect world, my phone would be red hot with daily newspapers saying, we want this story on the cover. This is important. Yeah. It wasn't an ambition. I just felt that that's what I thought newspapers should do because I was very, you know, I was very inspired by um, something like the Picture Post or Life yeah, magazine, yeah. which yeah. had great photo essays with real human stories in them. But you don't get that in the newspapers anymore. You get editorialization and sens uh, sensationalism and yeah. uh, quite often lies. Yeah, the and, Yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. And, yeah. uh, there was no space for you know this type of work these type of testimonies in that but i realized if you've got a blog you've essentially got your own newspaper absolutely you know? yeah. and you've got a ready-made worldwide audience yeah. um so yeah i just started i just started piecing it together and i you know a lot of what i do is informed by personal experience so yeah. you know if you took a picture of me at my lowest uh which you could have done quite easily um, but you didn't explain what came before and what came after. It would make no sense whatsoever. Absolutely, yeah. So I realized I didn't want to make quick 
photo you know i didn't want to make quick photographs it wasn't i, I wasn't interested in speed dating right yes, it was yes. a love affair a love yeah. affair with the story and the people which takes time you can't Absolutely. rush this. yeah yeah um <clears throat> and i realized that if you if you take a a, a snapshot rather than a, a sort of embrace the whole dynamic of a narrative the narrative arc um you do the person uh, you're in danger of really putting the person in in harm's way yeah. um because what is a photograph without any um supporting text or testimony essentially <clears throat> so it's a paint by numbers canvas that people yeah. can paint and <clears throat> fill it with their own prejudice yes yeah Oh, I didn't want to do that. So I started making interviews with a little cassette recorder, uh, building up um, my blog. Yeah. Long form stories of a whole, very organically, again, it grew to a number, a great number of people, yeah. um, all of which I'm still in contact with, even through COVID, you know. Um, yeah. They are my extended family now, you know, yeah. for want of a better term. And it wasn't, on my radar at all to make a book I never thought about it um maybe there was just like you know 10 yeah. 10 years from here not even a pipe dream just something that i i was you know i was aware that photo books existed yeah but it wasn't like a driving burning ambition my burning ambition was to one repay the debt of trust that was uh, imparted in to me by the people yeah. who share their stories yeah because look without them you know i'd have made a book of walls and empty chairs yes they're the vital component yeah, yeah. um so yeah the, the first time the idea of a book really came up was when I, when I was approached by colin wilkinson at blue coat press to do it yeah uh, and i actually said to him uh I don't think I'm ready to do this. I need another 10 years. <laughs> and, and my my dad gave me a great um, bit of advice once. He said, you know, if you're struggling, surround yourself with experts and be smart enough to take their advice when you need to. Yeah. Which, is really, which is really great advice because I kind of took it in that I let Colin explain his point of view to me and his point of view was why would you want to release this book when all the architects of all the pain and suffering in it are on the lecture circuit or in the House of Lords or yeah. you know running a business somewhere? Uh, you want to get it out while they're all still in office yeah. and yes. still face the wrath of the public because of their decisions and actions. Yeah, and literally, I just went, "Yep, okay, let's do it." Yeah. <laughs> uh, edited the book in thirty minutes. No joke. Uh, I'd lived with these stories and photos for a good seven, eight years at this point. Yeah. So and you, you knew them intimately. And you yeah. Knew, yeah. You knew the stories and how you wanted to present yeah. them intimately. Well, it, the thing that really helped was working long form stories on a blog. Yeah. Because essentially every story was kind of like a dry run for a mini book. Yeah. Every story has to have a beginning, a middle and end. It has yeah. to have a narrative arc. It has to have, um, the information you had to research statistics you had yeah. to um, yeah. transcribe the interviews that you made that then obviously work on the pictures sequence the pictures yeah um, <clears throat> so I'd had a fair bit of practice at that I didn't know it at the time obviously yeah. I wasn't I wasn't thinking this will be good practice when I get a book yeah <laughs> but it was um, yeah. and I had the idea kind of again instinctively that I mean one thing I find really fascinating about being a carer 
um, just like any other unpaid care in the country, um, it has a dramatic effect on time. It's yeah. very strange, the passing of time. Um, and I think, again, this is something that we've all experienced over the last like 13, 14 months. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know what day it is. Days yeah. bleed into each other. Is it 21 or 22 or is it, yeah. when, when is it? It's you start to lose um, a grip on the flow of time. Yeah. And there's one thing that really struck me about um, when I laid all the photographs out and, and seeking some, which literally took me about half an hour. It struck me that there was seven, eight, years worth of work but it looked like it could have been made in a 24 hour 48 hour period yeah journey served to kind of ram home this this idea this this reality that nothing had changed yeah day one to when the, the we decided to put the book together the situations hadn't improved if anything that maybe got worse yeah, um yeah. rooms looked the same clothes stayed the same environment stayed the same and it's kind of like this, it's, it's like a Groundhog Day, but the worst version you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Running through it, I think in every fo photograph is the um, endurance of the people. That's the thing that really strikes me about um, the photos. Yeah. Um, the strength to be so resilient to endure, in, to endure yeah. that. Which is kind of how I feel about everybody with COVID as well. You've got to be really strong. If you've if you've stayed home since the start of this, uh, you've really had to endure something. Well, austerity's been happening for a decade before COVID. And it, in many ways, it's affected a lot of people. I, I would say our most vulnerable and our weakest and our most in need of support and defence, they've been the victims to, to policy and their lives have been affected. Excuse me about that. That's okay. <laughs> uh google nonsense um yeah so it's just, i mean i find it strangely ironic really that after you know putting together the book about austerity which actually still happening hasn't yeah. gone away it's just no longer talked about um we have this horrific event that kind of puts everybody else a little bit into into that world that's yeah. been lived for a decade already but it was lived by our elderly, mm -hmm. our children, yeah. uh, our disabled communities, uh, the people that I think a civilized society should care about and look yeah. after the most. So, absolutely, um, yeah. But you might, you must have, uh, you must have built some wonderful relationships with and connections with with the people as as you as you I suppose as you document their life and and how they're doing over as you say such a prolonged period of time and it's it's uh, even in, and in the book as well i love the text that you've incorporated it's not in every picture and it's not with every picture but it's great and you when you're when i'm working through you see the same faces coming and it's interesting just to read how the how the text is changing how they're feeling how that's changed and, and how they have how their life has progressed or not progressed I, t I tend to work chronologically. So yeah. if I go out, uh, um, it was all made on the same used uh, D700 uh, digital camera, apart from yeah. one frame that was made in film. Um, and so I would go out and I would maybe shoot 30 photographs, maybe in a visit. But right from the start, I would always, as soon as the work was made, 
and edit is I would put those files together with any audio file that was made and it yeah. would always be dated. So I've, yeah. over the course of years, you start to get like a mass of work and it's all chronological. So when I was able to pull a photograph and say, right, that one would work well with, with the one. next page and the, and the page preceding, I'd also have the, a quote that would have been from that particular day. Yeah. But so that kind of, made sense to me that there were these kind of um, flags in the sand of how life was progressing. Like you say, people's thoughts, how it had changed or altered or evolved. Yeah. If, if at all um, relationships. I mean, when I started, I didn't know anyone in the town that I'd lived since I was 11. I'd become completely isolated. Yeah. And you know, what 15 years later now, um, I have kind of two lives. I have an online existence with loads of wonderful people that I meet virtually, but I conduct that life exactly the same as I do offline. Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer of being yourself at all times. Um, so I've met, there's an incredible community, photographic community yeah, online. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, never saw that. Didn't know something like that would exist. It's without it, I would not be talking to you today or maybe even here um to counter that you know my uh non-virtual life <laughs> i know my girlfriends my long long-term girlfriend my dog my two cats my parents and everybody else i know are the people in the book yeah don't know anyone else don't don't go out don't hang out don't socialize so in a way that they've become like family and it's mutual yeah um in many cases, you know, I'm I'm the only person they get to talk to. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, become especially evident through COVID, where, you know, they've not heard or seen anyone yeah. apart from a phone call from me, which is equal parts kind of humbling and you know makes you feel good. Yes, but it's also really fucking makes me really fucking angry yeah. that there's so many people that have no one yeah. at all. Um, you know, if there's one thing that people take away from the book, it isn't being inspired necessarily by photography or, you know, get a, get a buzz about documentary, although th these are all valiant things and, I, and it, it would be nice if people take that away. Ultimately, I, I would like to hope that people would just check on a neighbour. Yeah. Yeah, for, that, phone up an a, elderly neighbour, pop round, see, see how they're getting on. and 100%. As you say, if everyone did that to one or two neighbours, then it begins to change. The, it begins to change their experiences, as you obviously know from the people that you're you're speaking to. And when they it, get it, that phone call, it must make their day. No word of a joke. It um, through experience, it's, it doesn't just make someone's day. It saves lives essentially. Yeah. yeah, it's been you know when I think that all the work that I've made has been three miles from where I'm sat right now. Um. And it's a relatively small town. It's not, you know, it's not a huge place. Um, when, I don't know, a quarter to half the people that you've collaborated with have, have attributed making that work with being something that's helped them avoid suicide. Yeah. That's a trip. You know, that tells me something is very wrong with our society. I mean, I know that we, we kind of live in a very deconst deconstructed idea of what community is. Yeah. Um, certainly in England, uh, community is not 
I think, something that it used to be. There's a whole raft of causations for it. I suppose it all stems from Thatcher and her idea of the individual and yeah, yeah. no such thing as society. Um, I think the media is also highly complicit. You know, I mean, one of the greatest tricks that's been played on the people of our countries has been to convince poor people to blame other poor people for the fact that they're poor. Uh, when you hate your neighbour who has nothing to do uh, with with the causation of your, you know, your ills, and you're not looking up at the power, you know, that's a big problem. And also we're not listening to each other. You just have to look at the state of, you know, big... um, big voting issues really over the last 10 years yeah. it's a bit i think that we've always kind of mirrored america a little bit and you look at america and it's like 50 percent of the people hate 50 percent of the people yeah well, my philosophy kind of now is well we're all still people yeah, <laughs> yeah i might disagree with you but i know that you're still a person um and i think that we need to get kind of get back to being responsible for our own communities again not waiting for it to be magically i think the wounds that our countries have aren't going to be fixed by power they have to be fixed by us and it's a it's a tall order because we have media to fight we have you know policies to fight we have um mass media to fight you know and the, the electronic media to fight and all of it seems to be geared towards pushing us apart and further away from each other um i I saw uh, a podcast the other day and there was a great quote in it saying you know why am i going to hate someone because they disagree with maybe four or five things from me yeah it's four or five four or five things four four or Mm -hmm. five things and when when i I boil it down you know a lot of things that i would maybe disagree with people and i'm not talking about massive things like oh that person's an evident misogynist racist homophobe yeah well i'll forgive those and i'll just hang out but I would say this, I would try and understand. Yeah. There's nothing to be gained from just slamming the door and saying, get out of my house. You have to yeah. you have to go, I think you have to go through the pain of dialogue to kind of understand. Understand where they're coming from because they might be f- through other other through their own personal life experiences that they have formed those views, rightly or wrongly. But mm. but as you say, it's like it's 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 going to the it's going to the stage of actually taking the time to understand why and their reasoning why they why they form those views and um, well i'll tell you a story i there's one uh lad that i photographed it didn't make it into this book but i think it might the next and um he was just there at, 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 at the house of someone that i long time documented yeah we got into conversation and it was around the time of the brexit vote and I, was just, I, I think I just said something like, so, so who are you going to vote for? And he said, oh, you, uh, the one with the pound sign. I said, what, UKIP? And he, and he was like, yeah, yeah, the one with the pound sign. Um, my dad says that, that they're the ones that give you money because th- that's why they've got a pound sign as their logo. And, you know, I'm, I guess what I'm, I'm what you'd call left wing. And it would have been easy for me in that moment to be like, you daft sod. Yeah. You know, but I didn't. I was interested. I wanted to find out why. And the more and more I talked to him, you know, I learned that he um, had learning disabilities. He'd been kicked out of uh, a culinary college. Yeah. 
he was sofa surfing so essentially he was homeless yeah uh, his dad was abusive um and he was in a really bad way he like tried to take his own life just a couple of weeks before i can remember listening to all of this and feeling really great empathy with him and the fact that he thought ukip were good didn't i didn't think about it yeah because i'd learned so much more about this person and yeah. and 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 they became a person and i think that we should all you know uh like my big philosophy is just treat as you want to be treated yeah yeah absolutely uh, or like my number one rule for photography is don't be an asshole it's that it's yeah. that it's that simple because <laughs> i think you, your pictures are whatever you take to the camera yeah a camera without you is just a paperweight as soon as you pick it up and engage with it it becomes something else yeah and it's yeah what, yeah it's what it's what you see it's it's your vision it's your experience at that point and it's also how you are yeah you know it, it it um it will have your morals it will have your moral compass it will have your empathy it will have your yeah. notions of intrusion or um uh accountability longevity all of these things yeah. they all come from us and I, I don't say that to be like oh, well aren't photographers important but isn't their ego and their actions and their aren't they special i don't think the, the, the only difference is that would either make someone an arsehole or not yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> depending on how how willing they were to, to be kind to the people around them yeah um Camera, camera manufacturers never say this in their advertising, though. No. Ever, it's always that the camera is responsible for for making better pictures. Yeah, uh, which is why apparently you've got to buy a new one every six months. Yeah, I know. know. No, don't see the point in that. Yeah. But yeah, so when when you came when you came to the book, obviously the text mm. was very important to you. Oh, to, yes. To tell to tell the story and to tell the narrative that you're really wanting to tell. Well, the photographs exist because of the testimony. Takes, yeah. I mean, I know that I fell into photography first. Um, but as soon as I realized that I wanted to marry the testimony with the pictures, I, I couldn't separate them. And this is before Absolutely, I, yeah. this is before I like knew the work of people that have become heroes. So I'd, I've had to learn like the history of photography whilst learning photography. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the idea of presenting the work without the testimony would it would it just would never have happened yeah um for me a photograph is um nothing but a, a hook in this in this um in in this situation you know for for me what i need a photograph to do is be a hook and by, by that i mean it needs to stop someone for long enough in yeah. this huge amount of images that we see every day if i can stop them long enough for somebody to take enough time to read some of the testimony or read all of it and understand the the context and hopefully become illuminated then the photograph has done its job the photograph yeah. isn't doesn't exist to be art it doesn't exist to be um entertainment it doesn't exist to be um i don't know pleasing or displeasing it's uh it's really i think I, mean, I suppose i think about it in like old photojournalism ways yeah 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 you know, when you think of the great 
amazing work that used to appear in the Sunday Times magazines or the Observer magazines. You'd have these people that we look at as, you know, the big photographers. I mean, everybody from Philip Jones Griffiths, McCullen, all of these people used yep. to shoot um, for those magazines. And I guess that whenever you think of those photographs, it wasn't like a photograph, a blank page photograph blank page it was photograph and they had a writer that wrote and told you what was happening in the pictures so yes yeah you know it is documentary it's not um it's not a fine art it's not fine art it's no. not yeah. something that doesn't need uh you know i mean heavens forbid it would be an artist statement <laughs> yes yeah no <laughs> you know, the, yeah go on because the, the text i add so much to 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 the photographs it's it's as you say the the photographs when I'm when I'm looking through the book, it's every image, even without reading the text, every image I immediately stop and I'm I'm trying to visualize, imagine what 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 is going on in that one particular given time, and then there's the text really which just adds the depth and adds the interest to it, and and it, it, they just work so well. And Thank you. for me, it's a it's it's not a it's not a style of photography I shoot myself at all. I don't shoot any. Right. I don't shoot any people. I, I shoot landscapes effectively. I don't shoot anything else really. But I love. All oh, that's books. interesting. I, I, I love all books, and yeah. I could sit. I could sit and look through this and be absolutely fascinated by it over and over again in terms of the stories. And then it's a continuation of you read about one of one of someone who you're documenting and then they maybe don't appear for the next 10 pictures and then there's then they appear again and right it's like it's like a light bulb switches on anything right okay what where are we now at in 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 their journey in in their documentation in their story and and for me that's i think it, it works just so wonderfully well and it's it just it just creates a lovely community of of your community as well Thank you. I mean, I, I mean, I really appreciate that because that's what I hope the book yeah. would do. I, I wanted there to be a real relationship between the reader of the book, and I, I do find that once you have a physical manifestation of the work, it, you, it oh. that tactile um, element to it is some. I mean, you're essentially cradling the people whose lives you're reading, and because you become yeah. entwined into them, <clears throat> absolutely, me, that makes you care. It should. It, it is supposed to be like. Um, you know, uh, like an an empathy injection. You know, you can go to it with however you might feel about the world. This yep. might be something that uh, situations that you've never encountered, but hopefully you leave, you know, illuminated. And that's not by the work of a photographer, I don't think. I think that that's the selflessness and the really the, the massive act of giving and sharing by all the people in the book yeah. because they're yeah. very honest um and i have to say that you know a big part of how the photographs are made is is made through our, our relationship it's very it's very difficult uh, i think to well actually i don't find it difficult at all it's um maybe it's something that's not always practiced but you have to really trust someone for them to disappear, right? So you have to be really accustomed to someone, yeah. uh, their presence in the room. And I didn't want, um, 
maybe this comes from my painting background, but it's like when you look at a painting, a portrait painting, you never, I think you never imagine a painter sat six foot in front of the person that you're looking at in the, yeah. in the painting. <laughs> it's just you and the painting. Yes. And that was always something that I hoped to achieve with the photography because I wanted a direct link between the person like holding the image or looking at the yeah. image on a wall uh, or on a screen. I didn't want to be there at all. Yeah. I didn't yeah. want it to be um, kind of like, I didn't want there to be even a hint of the photographer in the room. Yeah. Uh, and it's not something that you can necessarily do. You can always do quickly. Um, no, it, 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 going back to what you were saying about uh, the testimony, yeah. one thing that I've really been interested in and was able to do somewhat uh, a, a recent exhibition was, well, actually, I'll tell you my idea of what a perfect exhibition would be like, and maybe a perfect, perfect book. Um, but for I mean, for exhibition or book, it would work the same. So I've got hundreds of hours of interview. <laughs> The thing that I really want to try and do is have like a little MP3 player that everybody in an exhibition or maybe a book, so it, it would link to like a page turn. It would be doable, yep. I think. Yeah. When you look at the photograph, you don't read the text off an A4 piece of paper. You actually hear the person okay. talking to you from the yeah. photograph. I mean, I'm sure it's been done before. Um, most likely it has been done before, but I think that that's like a fully immersive um, experience. And I think that, you know, that's something that we can attain online and we've had to attain online recently because there's been no... Yeah, nothing in person. Nothing in person. Um, and I actually made a short film during lockdown, so I think maybe that helps solidify this idea. But I'll... I kind of like the idea of a gallery that's just full of people with headphones on and it's really quiet, but yeah. people are just completely locked into the person they're looking at whilst yeah. hearing that person's voice. Yeah. I, I can, from when you just from hearing you talking about it, I can, I can see exactly how well that would work. It'd be like, it would be being at one of these like silent disco type things at a, at a festival when everyone's got their headphones on listening to like chemical brothers or something Actually, like that at three in the morning. For somebody that, um, for somebody that makes landscape, would that work with, um, with landscape photography as well? Potentially. Could, could, yeah. Field record the sound of yeah. the environment and then play. Yeah. It, it, there's, there's no reason it couldn't. I did, uh, when the when the beast from the east struck Glasgow, I managed to get out and take some shots when it was like a foot of snow and no cars in the road. Mm. And uh, and last year I did a I did a sequencing type workshop with Rob Knight and David Noble. And instead of I wasn't sequencing for a book, I was sequencing to put onto a web on my website because so many galleries on your people's websites you go on it's just a grid and you just go from one to another. Wow. Whereas actually. I, I thought, well, actually, you can sequence it just as well for the internet as you can for a book mm. because you can have scale. So I've got all different sizes of scale. There's bits of text in there. But mm. I, I also did a short video. It was like a two-minute video that just had only a fraction of the images, but downloading all the sound effects, and, and it creates such a different mm. experience. So there's you're not listening to any words, but there's just a bit of music, and then, but then there's the sound effects that just they bring in just the detail of what 
of what you're looking at. And yeah, I think I think it I think these things do work very well, and it becomes an entirely different immersive experience for someone to to sit and listen to. And it's like by the end of it, I could just not look at the screen and just listen to the mm. listen to the sound because I knew exactly what it, what it was telling me every bit of the way, and it was. It becomes a bit OCD because you can really go to town on these things. But yeah, I think it, it would work well, be a different experience. But I think doing the the, the images that were along with hearing the, mm. the background to that image or even just, even if it doesn't necessarily relate to the testimonial that matches up that image, it could be something quite nice to just see the image of, see an image of a person, but hear a different story or a different tale about them as well. So actually maybe gives a bit of a contrast to mm. to what it is and I, I think yeah you could you could easily see how something like that would be quite fascinating to to just add a whole different again holds a whole different immersive ex- experience to to someone um, and I, I like the idea of it being in a book as well how it would work in a book I'm not entirely not entirely sure but at the end of the day, Pink Floyd managed to put a flashing light in their Pulse <laughs> CD. So I'm sure, I'm sure anything's possible. But again, yeah. it's 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 look, looking at it, looking through the book. It's an entirely different experience and looking through things online and stuff like that. Tactile element because you've got to turn the page and you're immediately drawn into what the next image is, and you stop. And I suppose to just scroll, 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 scroll. You. You've you've got well, it's, it. it's a slower process. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I mean, as long as the book is picked up, and then it's yes. a very, very short process if it's not put, picked up. But if <laughs> yeah. if it is picked up, um, you know, I was really uh, okay. So there's a book called Survival Instincts in Britain's Inner Cities by the photography collective Exit that was made late seventies, early eighties. That book really inspired me because it was kind of the first book that I'd seen that had a wealth of text as well yeah. as photographs. It was like a re- really in-depth yeah. um, look at what was happening in the country. And although I couldn't do the whole country and there was only one of me, there wasn't three, yeah. um, I realized that I, as well as having um, testimony in it, it would be wise to have the view of an economist the view of an academic and I also wanted to reach out to other arts. So I got a, a great poet involved, Jamie Thrissvalu. Yeah. Um, all these things were really important to me, but they were also, you know, I, I think that uh, it's really important. I, you know, what is it they say about originality? It's what 80% inspiration, uh, 80% perspiration, 20% inspiration. Yeah. You don't want your inspiration to be larger than the input that you're putting in and you see a lot of yeah. work that's very similar to, to other people's and there's none there's nothing that's original it's all yeah. the little sprinkle you adds to everything that's come before and i pay great respect to the people that have done this before because without them none of us would literally be here yeah uh, but that book had a real dramatic effect on me in so much as when i laid out the design that i wanted for the cover um it's the same typeface <laughs> it's uh, it's in a landscape orientation mostly because i work landscape almost yep. exclusively or uh, i did then um and i wanted just full page images i didn't want cropped images yeah. or yeah anything like that um so it was pretty clear right from in you know from my very first i mean it's like i just saw it just popped into my yeah. head you have the text on the left you you read image. left and right the images on the 
on the right um and you just lay it out like that i didn't want it i didn't like the idea of it being like this fancy over-designed art piece it's a book about fucking austerity yeah. it doesn't need marbled inner covers with gold <laughs> dipped yeah. fancy end papers and stuff like that yeah. as well yeah no, no I, I just wanted to make an affordable book that anyone could pick up not just a photo community it was about a book that anyone could literally pick up well I, um, absolutely <laughs> i think with the subject matter as well it, it is something that anyone should have an interest in it, it's it's you don't need to be a you don't need to be a photographer or anything to to no. have an in, to have an interest or should have an interest in, mm. in 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 what in what you've documented and that's a um, really good point i think that's something that a lot of photographers miss i think a lot of photographers make books for other photographers or the photography community yeah. ultimately shouldn't we be making books for everybody yeah it shouldn't yeah. be exclusive it shouldn't be mm. You know, you should you should really want people that aren't photographers. Necessarily photographers. In, in fact, probably the biggest honor to have is for mm. non-photographers to buy your book. It's to have non non-friends, non-followers, mm. a total stranger to invest in yeah. your work who's got no connection to you at all. That's I mean, I'll tell you one thing that a lot of times that I've done talks the greatest buzz that I'll get is when, you know, sometimes at the end of it, you'll get people come up and say hi, yeah. and you have a good chit chat. And <clears throat> this isn't in any way disrespecting of <clears throat> photographic community because I've talked to anyone and I yeah. will talk to anyone. Um, but I get an extra buzz when somebody comes up and I know they've got nothing to do with photography. And I know that because they say, uh, thank you for making this book. I understand those lives because I've lived similar. And, yeah, and they've, yeah. they've been turned on to the work purely because they relate. Yeah, to the work. And that's a buzz to know that someone that's not necessarily there for the photography, they're there for the stories. Yeah. And they're there out of a sense of solidarity. You know, if you can be the only photo book on someone's bookshelf, <laughs> that's a hell of a thing. Absolutely. You know, that's, yeah. a, that's a hell of a thing. That's a hell of a compliment because... You know, it, it's um, you, you're that's extraordinary, literally, yeah. isn't it? I, do... I, I, absolutely, yeah. There's, there's no, there's no, no question about that at all. That's probably one of your. That would be a, an ultimate honor, as opposed to being one of, okay, hundreds. Um, but but no, it is, and it is. There's a, there's the, it's got such, there's such appeal, and there should be such appeal to people. And to anyone from any community and any background to 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 really understand and and live through the point of view and you go back to talking about how you didn't want their you didn't want to the feel of there actually being a photographer there mm -hmm. the the images but to get to capture those images takes a real connection and a real and a real element of trust and knowledge with the person you're photographing to really get up some of them are really very very close up so you've really got to know and that person's really got to trust you to in order to in order to make them seem natural and seem as though they've just been taken as opposed to they've been set up and stay and staged to a certain extent and I, I think from that point of view that's what adds just a real element of of normalism and 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 integrity to integrity to the work as well.
it's funny that I w- uh, in lockdown I've been photographing my mother, which is something that I never <laughs> expected to do, but she she proposed the idea. Um, she was very worried that she'd die through COVID and wanted her story told. Yeah. And um, now I do have the vaccine braid fade. I've, I was so busily thinking about that. <laughs> I've forgotten what it was going to lead into. Um, where were we? Uh, yeah. Uh, proximity and, and trust. It's what it is, is that when, when I've met all of the people that I photograph, we, we met as strangers. Yeah. Like you meet anyone for the yep. first time. But I don't treat the relationships that I have with a camera any different to the relationships I would have without a camera. It would be like yeah. saying that I have a different relationship with people when I have my glasses on or when I don't. Yeah. yeah. I, I've never viewed a camera as like a VIP access into someone's home. <laughs> yes. I certainly don't view a camera as um, a wall between us. Yeah. And I also don't think of it, and this is where sort of semantics come into it. I never view the people that I photograph as subjects. I'm not a king. I'm far from being a king. I don't have subjects below me. Um, and I don't believe in this like patriarchal idea where I'm above and, and they're below. You know, circumstantially, we're, we're all the same strata of life anyway we're all working class people we're all on benefits we all understand and relate what we're talking about and um yeah so the 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 relationships are real and when you're you know if you're really cool with someone and you're really relaxed you know you don't mind taking your socks off (laughs) i suppose and uh because it's collaborative the work is always um we all know what's going on. Yes. Right from the get go. Like I think I said at the start, the first question I ask is what is it you want to talk about? So yeah. I'm always aware that I'm working about something that the person that I'm with wants to talk about. Yes. I haven't kind of like gone through a list of things and said, well, let's talk about this. Yeah. It's what they want to share. Yeah. Yeah. And adamantly as well, as well. I mean, my mother suffers from chronic epilepsy. I've worked on a couple of other stories that have in- included epilepsy and yep. it might be alien to someone that's not an epileptic to, to photograph someone in the, in the midst of an epileptic seizure. It might seem intrusive even Yeah. on both both instances or or actually on every instance i've been told to do it yeah and you need to take a picture of me having a seizure i'm I'm like oh well are you sure about that because you're going to be unconscious (laughs) yeah well look what's the fucking point of doing a story on epilepsy and you just show me smiling that's not what epilepsy is like epilepsy is like having a seizure yeah and there's many different types of uh epileptic seizure seizure. my mother's grandma simon who um I did the Cafe Royal book with is a tonic. Yeah. A tonic seizure are something to behold because it's like a switch. You just literally unconscious and you drop dead weight to the floor. Whereas a grand mal seizure could be quite protracted and prolonged. Right. Um, and the, the reasoning behind, behind it is, is look, this is my story. And this is part of that story. This is a big part of that story. Yeah. And strangely enough, after, you know, we've done it, and I've done it a few times now. I obviously go into, well, 
a peek behind the Oz curtain. The first time it happened was with Simon and he had an atonic right in front of me. And instinctively, because I must have seen 100,000 seizures in my life, easily yeah. with, with my mum, I put him into recovery. And then I remembered his voice saying, if you don't take a picture of me of a seizure, I want to be so fucking angry. So <laughs> I kind of picked my camera up as he was coming around and made the pictures. And the first thing he said to me was, did you get that? <laughs> and I'm like, the blood dripping down his face and he's banged up. And yeah. that's why I have so much respect for everyone that I photographed. Yeah. Because they are the 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 fuel. They are so they are as committed, if not more committed, than than I, or we're all as committed as each other yeah. to yeah. Ill illuminating. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also thought I've never seen a photograph of anyone having an epileptic seizure. Yeah, as yeah. if you are in you know right there, right in the middle. Um, I mean, it's a very difficult. It's very difficult to learn to be calm in those situations if. I would imagine if you're not someone that's um, kind of steeped in experience. and yeah, I would imagine so. Through being a, a carer, um, it's something that I've seen a lot, but it never, it's not the sort of thing that gets old. You know, you can, yeah. you can yeah. learn to deal with it, but it's always shocking and it's, it's devastating to, 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 to watch. Yeah. Um, but what a, I mean, again, I just think it's an, an absolute testimony to the people the people in my community and now my family that trust you so much to, Allow you to be, so be with them in such a defenseless intimate moment yeah and really it's about empowering it's about how <clears throat> now i own that moment i remember just, yeah. literally a few months ago showing my mum a photograph of her having a grand mal and it's the first time she's ever seen it she's 70 Jeez. and she said i always wondered what it looked like yeah incredible so even if that picture never gets published uh it's fulfilled its purpose purpose yeah you know yeah. even even if even if it's that because that's a hell of a thing imagine i mean i mean imagine yeah. being 70 years old and you've been afflicted with this all of your life and it's kept yeah. you bedridden for the last 30 years and you've never seen what happens it's yeah. mind-blowing really yeah it is quite quite incredible and so as is, is, is obviously you mentioned uh, are you you're still documenting this and and you, is this what you're working on now are you working on a second book or what, what oh, is it, what yeah is well two things really happens one predates uh covid by about 12 months yeah i got diagnosed with ptsd <clears throat> and heightened anxiety which talking to a doctor is probably a result of working on the book non-stop for 10 years yeah and being a carer yeah um boiled down really simply you, you can only fit like a pint of stress in a pint glass Plus, and I, yeah. I think i was probably trying to fit about 300 oh. barrels into yeah. uh a, a, pint, a glass. pint glass yeah and so like mental health is something that i've always been a really strong advocate for um but had never experienced so when i did experience it and without a shadow of a doubt it was the most terrifying prolonged period of terror yeah. um i've ever experienced but it gave me it gave me a real wonderful insight into some of the stories and people that i know yeah um and i, I kind of look back at it on it now as you know um if that was the price of admission to work on 
these stories, then that's a fair price Yeah, to, to go through that. It was also a really important lesson to learn. And I think that, you know, all photographers that work in certainly in this sort of area, or maybe not, maybe it could just be any area because, you know, mental health doesn't discriminate between nope. Nope. Can be what you're working on. Yeah. Um, it's to really start li to listen to yourself and make sure you give yourself just a little pause every now and then. That was something that I yeah. didn't do. I was just full throttle yeah. until the wheels came off. Yeah. Uh, and then I put the wheels back on and I thought, well, I'm going to be more productive if I can make more work. Um, so I learned to pace myself in my, certainly just changing my process a little bit really yeah. helped. Um, and then COVID happens and I got stuck at home for a year and yeah. a half. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so working, uh, working uh, when her, you know, I have to work in like moments of lucidity yes. and she's yeah. not too much pain. Um, but I'm also working with, uh, I was approached, uh, this would be, yeah, before COVID. Again, um, I got approached by a set designer who works in the theatre. Oh, cool. Who really loved the book and wanted to make a theatre, like a community uh, theatre piece about, the testimony in the book yeah uh, and again my knee-jerk reaction because i'm quite uh um you know i I've, i take my custodianship of these stories very seriously so i'm always very yeah, wary when when outsiders come in <laughs> um but through like really good intimate conversations i realized that everybody was on exactly the same page and we all knew yeah. exactly what we wanted to do good um yeah, so we're uh, with the people from the book. We're, we're actually putting together a theatre piece. Wonderful. Um, it's really exciting, actually, and uh, it's really exciting because I see how excited all the people in the book are to be involved. Are to be involved yeah. because it's another empowering step. Um, yeah. It's another way of owning their stories, and it's you know I, I talk to all of them all the time, and it was like, can you? fucking believe like the, f the first time i met you that we'd have ended up getting a book out uh, <coughs> now it's going to be on the stage uh, and we're like no <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah there, there there is um book two book two's <laughs> okay so it could be done but i reckon it's about half done right okay, okay yeah so I, it was about half done before covid hit um i'd also want to make sure that Okay, so two things really that I think I need to include. One is I want to include post-Brexit. Yes. I want to see how that plays out. And I also want to include what happens after lockdown ends. I, I was yep. not interested, nor was anyone in the book, in me making photographs through windows of people looking sad and yeah. lonely or empty yeah. streets because that does nothing. I'm more interested in post. probably the um, economic fallout of this. Yeah. Um, so there'll be that to document. So I'd say it's about a year and a half away. Yeah. Um, but it's just going to be a straight-up sequel, which, again, I was inspired by a British Arts Council book. Um, they had two, well, a series of four, but books one and two, I think, were separated by 12 months. But they're they're identical. It's just number yeah. one and two. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to be Small Town Inertia, number two. two. Yeah. Same format, but straight continuation. Excellent. And the horrific, the horrific thing about it is, nothing will have changed. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's. Uh, you could be on book twenty, and nothing will probably have changed. 
which that, is the thing. That, which is yeah, which is the sad. The thing that the, the thing I think that's important is, and why you know I, I'm a really strong advocate of people making community work, is that if books like this don't get made, then that reality never happens because yeah. the historians will not document the, yeah. hum, the humanity that was affected yeah. by policy. It'll be a statistic. It'll be 180,000 attributable deaths to austerity, but you won't know their names. Yeah, you'll know nothing about them. Exactly. And I think that that's why, you know, uh, as a lover of books, as I am too, that's why books are so important. Yeah. They exist. You know, uh, if there's a what, an EMT explosion and every digital device is wiped and all the computers are gone, there'll still be that fucking book yeah. that says this happened. Yeah. And just the ability to, to, to do that, I think, is really important. Really important. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, because as you say, it's it's there, it's documented, it's 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 now part of part of society, part of history, and people can't can't ignore it, can't turn away, can't just say it's very, very relevant as well, I'd say, to to landscape photography. Yeah. Because our landscape is changing, changing all the time. Yeah. Dramatically. And yes. will do certainly over the next hundred years. So books made now, you know, fifty yeah. years from now, they might be it might be the last few chances you get to photograph X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. Which is again, why books are so important. They're not just, uh, you know, sometimes you get the idea that, you know, um, books are just vanity projects, you know, and they're just made yeah. because yeah. one likes the idea of being a photographer. I don't even know what that means, but I do like the idea of like messages in bottles. You know, yeah. you put this information and you throw it out on, into the ocean and it just sails through time until it's picked up again and somebody yes. goes now i understand yeah 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 all also very very true and all very relevant as well so talking about books one thing i always enjoy asking and finding out from people is what are your favorite photo books from other photographers three four or five it's always really interesting. And uh, for me in particular, it's opened my eyes doing these podcasts for now for eight months, seven months, eight months, something like that. It's opened my eyes to a whole host of different photographers, new work to explore, mm. new subject matter, new topics. And it's, it's wonderful. So I'd be really, I'm really interested to, to get some uh, suggestions from your favorite bookshelf. Okay, so one book I can remember very vividly uh, I found the work online and then the book yeah. transpired later uh, by Darcy Padilla. It's called The Julie Project. It's a long-form uh, documentary book. It's very, very powerful. Right. Um, I highly recommend that. It's kind of difficult to find, which is a shame, but you can find the work online. Yeah. Um, Darcy's quite a well-known photojournalist. It's incredible work. Um Anything by Donna Ferrato, who I think is just an absolute warrior. Right. Uh, I also really like an American photographer called Donna Ann McAdams. She's really inspiring to me. Uh, anything by Brenda Ann Keenerly. Uh, right. Upstate Girls is a wonderful book. Money, Power, Respect. Again, I really uh, I, I like work that's made within communities. I like a load yes. of Eugene yeah. books, like Dorchester Days is a really powerful book, I think. Yeah. Um, I really like Wim Wenders' books, big time. Um, 
probably that comes from really liking his uh, cinema. Yeah. Um, but written in the written in the West is a real uh, okay. favorite. Yeah. Uh, um, how many's that been? Oh God, books. Or I, I we'll, we'll let you have another couple. Oh, um, let me have a think. No, I'm good with those. You with those? I mean, uh, yeah. it struck me that so many of my favorite photographers, I mean, I don't really look at photography to inspire my photography. Yeah. It's a bit like if you're in a band and you listen to music to inspire your yeah, music. Yeah. Uh, I really like to, the one thing that I'm inspired by is the conduct and the morality of, of a photographer. Wow. Yeah. And I've always made a point of I want to experience a photo book not as a photographer but as a yeah as a human being. Yeah. Uh, I figure the people in the book deserve that level of respect. I shouldn't be looking at it going, "Oh, I wonder what lens that was and yeah, what no, film yeah. stock was that." Yeah. Uh I just need to be completely keyed into the the people in the book. Yeah. Um but it struck me that so many of my favorite photographers are women. Mm, yeah. Or um, uh, almost yeah. Without any deviation, the long-form work made with great empathy. I mean, there's exceptions to this rule from my perspective of looking at it. You know, I yeah. really love Eugene Richards. It's amazing. Um, but someone, Donna Ferrato has been a huge uh, influence on me. Uh, her book, I Am Unbeatable, uh, it's, uh, it deals with domestic abuse, and it's just the most powerful body work yeah yeah it's uh well one for a woman to put herself in such dangerous situations photographing women in dangerous situations uh and to be a woman in an industry that is kind of not massively helpful to to women certainly not <clears throat> at the time that this book was made yeah um it's a hell of a book yeah fantastic well that's a that's a great selection it's a lot of names i've I don't, I'm not familiar with, can't be uh, familiar with every photographer, but I, but I, I enjoy it because again, it'll open me up. Even if I don't buy all the books, it opens me up to new types of work, new styles of work, new approaches. And, and that can only be, that can only be a good thing. And Absolutely. Um, it just expands all of our knowledge. So yeah, thank you for those wonderful suggestions, Jim. And thank you very much for your time. It's really has been an absolute pleasure chatting to you this evening about your work. It's a, yeah, it's a great book. And I, I look forward to waiting another 18 months to get book two, which, uh, which, yeah, well, it will be, it'll be fascinating to see how the, how the stories have developed um, through the last period and the forthcoming period as well. I think it's uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And yeah, just really thanks very much for your time, Jim. Thank you for inviting me. Cheers. Thank you. Safe